Welcome to season two of the Awareness Podcast. There will be a new episode every Friday from one of our four resident hosts and their guests. Tune in for Conversations in Truth with Bill Free, Living and Not Knowing with Jenny Beale, Tools for Awakening with Cindy Krupp, and Living an Awakened Life with me, Susan Telford. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Awareness Podcast with your host, Bill Free. And my guest this week is an amazing guy that lives about 300 miles north of me, maybe maybe 400 up in Canada. I'm in Maine. And I'm happy to introduce this fellow that we have become familiar with each other when I uh, was able to meet him on Zoom a few of uh, a week ago. I knew I wanted to share him with this audience. So if you have something to do, kind of put a pause on that if you can, because I know you're going to really love what Bob has to share with us. And uh, we got to know each other a little bit, and uh, I'm just impressed to share his uh, expertise with all of you. Welcome, Bob, and thank you for being here. My pleasure. Good being with you here. Thank you. Well, let me just say a little bit about Bob. He's a neurocognitive specialist, a PhD. He's a therapist, counselor a consultant in the fields of therapy and neurocognition and effective communication. And he's been doing this for over 30 years. He's incorporated many spiritual practices into his therapy whenever he, whenever possible. And he's developed techniques to help people to build a bridge from personal psychology to collective spirituality naturally discovering one's true self and the ultimate shortcut to divine wisdom and deep inner peace. And his practice has always been not just to about what to do, but also how to do it in order to get one's desired outcomes. Bob wrote a book titled Shortcut to Spirituality, Mastering inner peace about 20 years ago, and he has continued to perfect his methods to facilitate deeper and faster positive change in people from all walks of life and with all types of challenges. While most most people's ultimate goal is to find love, joy, peace, and happiness, our practice here on the Awareness Podcast and the main work that Bob has is or has found is to remove the barriers we've built over years of negative programming. And for many of you Course in Miracles students, that sounds familiar, right? To remove the obstacles to the awareness of love's presence. It sounds like that's exactly what Bob's talking about. And when I got to talk with Bob and meet him, I, I found uh, within this therapist, uh, this amazing spiritual master that 
He doesn't use spiritual terms. He uses psychological or he uses terms that are uh, based on his experiences over these many years, these decades of of helping people to find the peace and the happiness that we all long for. And I want to I'm just grateful that you would take the time to be with us, Bob. Thank you so much. Very welcome. So, Bob, in your in your practice of um, of as a therapist, are you still practicing as a therapist? Yeah. Yes, I am. Yeah. Okay. And do you do you have any? Uh, have you are you familiar with A Course in Miracles? Uh, to a certain degree, I haven't studied it, but to a certain degree, I am familiar. I, I know for sure, because many of my patients mentioned it, and I know it did change uh, people's lives to, to a great degree. So I know there's some good stuff there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There definitely is some good stuff. And uh, the the ideas that are presented in A Course in Miracles, it's uh, it's really remarkable how, uh, without being a student, uh, per se, or a teacher of A Course in Miracles, your practice seems to be in parallel with that kind of teaching. You know what, something, and, Bill? Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I never meant to actually uh, explore spiritual territory too much, nor did I ever design or plan to teach people spirituality. But what I noticed is as I, as I was working with people and clearing up blocks and clearing up blocks, you know, it's funny because sometimes people ask me what I do in social circles. And if they don't know me, I tell them that I'm in the block removal business. And then they, well, they ask me what kind of blocks I say, well, mental blocks. And, and, you know, we all laugh. Of course, that costs me because they'll then ask me all kinds of questions, but I'm always good at answering them. I have no issues with that. But nevertheless, so when you remove enough blocks, then you get to a territory that is very peaceful. And, uh, and when I, when I, cause I like to deepen things. So we start with something and then we work on that and then we deepen it and deepen it. And if you go deep enough by clearing up a lot of, uh, the emotional stuff, traumas, uh, all kinds of, uh, behaviors that are not conducive uh, to, uh, to a healthy and happy life, then you reach a territory that is very peaceful. And I remember the first time it happened to me, I said, wow, that's very interesting. I, I never knew what it was. And then I started to work with patients on that, and they would say, oh, oh you, what you're doing is very similar to Buddhism. And, and I knew a little bit about Buddhism, but never too much. And, and uh, you know, I recall telling you when we talked on the phone that I was happy and, and sad at the same time. Well, I was sad because I thought I discovered America type of thing. And then it's, you know, Buddhism already known, you know, I've known that for what, 3,000 years or so? And, but I was happy that, you know, that, you know, this kind of work has been known and has been practiced because I, I had the feeling in every bone of my body that it's the right work to do. And so another thing that kind of very puzzled me many times, people say, well, we meditate and, and you know, and we're spiritual and they would come with depression and anxiety. And I said, how does all this kind of come together? And so I, I started to, to, to discover what's happening and started to delve more into it. And then I realized that it actually hides that potential for much faster therapy. Uh, so that's one of the reasons I wrote the book 20 years ago, uh, Short at the Spirituality, because I thought that there are some practices that if you practice, will shorten your, your kind of journey to spirituality, 
which then off, you know, offered solutions to a lot of psycho-emotional problems. And then since then, I perfected it. And then I started to work more with uh, non-duality practice. This happened quite a bit later. And realized that, you know, I just have a tool because I, I consider myself as a therapist who has a toolbox full of tools. And then like you want to have full of tools so that you have the right tool for the job. Uh, I think that as a therapist, you have to have enough tools so that whoever comes your way with whichever, whichever problem they come, you have the right tool for that. And I found the spiritual tools very, very effective and really kind of shortcutting the entire process because the goal is to get people to where they want to go. And, and we all want to be in the same place. Like you said before, we want to have a happy, healthy, joyful life. You get there, you're fine. Right, right. Yeah, that, that, that is the goal that everyone is seeking. And all the myriad of thousands of different things that people are seeking for, uh, it's, it's, it boils down to looking for happiness, I would say. Yeah. It's interesting because in my practice, at least, I kind of differentiate between happiness and joy. Uh, you know, I'll tell you a quick story. I, I, many years ago, I, won, I, I bought the lottery of a local hospital. And lo and behold, the first time I ever won anything, uh, mainly because I haven't played anything else, so uh, I won $1,000. So I go to the bank and I deposit the check and everybody knows me there. And everybody said, oh, wow, look at Bobby. You just got $1,000 at the uh, Princess Margaret Hospital. And, and I was very happy, actually. You know, I, I won something and everybody was happy. And this was in a, in, a, in a mall. And when I get out of the mall, there's a woman there who's pushing a cart with a baby and she's holding groceries. She's trying to open the door. And so I said, let me help you. So I opened the door for her and I said, you want me to help you to uh, take everything in the car? She said, oh, yeah, you know, I'll be very glad if you could. So I take the groceries from her. We go to the car. She puts the baby inside. She puts the car. Then I gave her the groceries. And she said, thank you so much. You've been of so, so much help. And I said, oh, I feel happy. I said, hold on a second. No, that's not happy. It's not the same happiness of me winning $1,000 and depositing in the bank. It's different. So what's the difference? And I realized that I was feeling joy, not happiness. So happiness, I see more as kind of conditional, like we all want happiness, but happiness happens to be many times conditional. So if we get what we want, wow, we are happy. Don't we don't get what we want, then we are unhappy, which is why I wrote that poem I sent you, The Psychology of unha Unhappiness. And, right, uh, right. and joy basically is when we do what's right, when we help, when we show compassion, when we show love, when, when we... We do things, something without expecting anything back. Uh, and so I, I do differentiate between the two. Uh, I, I hope it makes sense. Well, it does. And, you know, I never thought of it that way, Bob. I've, I've always considered happiness to be the, the goal of life. I never uh, connected it with uh, conditional happiness. But that is what we... Uh, what we succumb to, we 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 take what is a natural inherent um, impulse uh, to to be to be happy, to be joyful, and we convert it to conditional experiences, mm -hmm. and that's where it morphs over into a different interpretation. And I, I totally love the distinction that you just made because that is pretty much in 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 the human condition there is a, a distinction between the two one is a getting or something that that 
that you, uh, oh boy, I'm getting that thing or this thing came versus a movement that's coming from our, our, our instincts of love. You, you made a very, very good and important point. You have to work at happiness. And if you work hard, sometimes you get it, sometimes you don't get it. Joy, you already have. Like you said, if you already have, it's already inherent within your spiritual realm because we do live on two different environments, two different realms. One is very obvious. That's the day-to-day, usually controlled by the ego who likes to, very dramatic, likes to make promises it can never keep. Uh, But there's another layer that is very subtle, as you know very well from your studying and your practice, that it's there, but it doesn't force itself. Uh, And all you have to do is just kind of pay attention to it. And all of a sudden, joy becomes natural. All the things that the ego promises us that it'll achieve, uh, we already have. We don't have to work hard at it. It's already there. But but you really have to pay attention to it. And, And that's the work. It's basically to build that bridge between the two. You know, in my book, uh, Shortcut to Spirituality, I, I differentiate between three ways of how we refer to ourselves. So myself, me, and I. Myself, basically, is, uh, is basically ego-based stuff. So, so my thoughts and my feelings and my behavior, um, that's kind of a low level of awareness. Then we have the me. The me, I look at it as the soul. It's kind of a bridge between the spirit and the body because sometimes there's such a big gap. You know, I, I like to think that the soul kind of mediates between the two. Uh, we ask we ask sometimes, you know, do you love me? We don't ask, do you love myself? Because nobody loves selves. But do you love me? And then we have the I. The problem with the I is that it's supposed to reflect, represent our highest level of awareness. But the ego being kind of the conniving kind of uh, mechanism that it is, it steals that I. So when we say I am, uh, we don't really mean what what it's supposed to mean. For instance, we say I'm angry. And one of the first things I teach people in terms of emotional control is to not identify with their feelings. Because when you say I'm angry, then all of a sudden, all of you is becoming angry. But it's not correct. You're not angry. You have anger. So you can say, I feel anger. There's anger in me, but I'm not anger. And when you're able to separate the two, all of a sudden, it's you can control it a bit better. So one of the most important things of dealing with emotions, which is, which is part of the work of removing all the old patterns, all the traumas, and all the negative programming so that you can get what you're supposed to get in. So then we have to reserve the eye to the, to the ultimate, to, to the spiritual awareness. Because when you say, I am, Really, uh, well, it has a lot we talked about, it, a lot of kind of biblical roots. Um, it's that highest level of awareness that there's a lot of depth to it. It's, it's not the final destination. It has a lot of depth to it. And, and once you deepen it, you arrive at places that are absolutely remarkable. All of a sudden, you ask yourself, why did I have to work hard on all these things? Whereas it's all available to me in its purest form. Yeah, yeah. Yes, and the uh, the I, I like the uh, the idea that you uh, in working with someone that has attached their identity, their I am identity to the experience, that you uh, find a a way to to separate just enough so that they can 
they can step away from their identification with the experience. Exactly. Just just being aware of the experience. Exactly. And you you mention in your uh, in your book about uh, or in the some of the uh, highlights of your book that I uh, that I have uh, written down here that there's three levels of awareness. Yes. Now, what, how do these levels work with the identification of the I am self, the I self? or the personal self yeah, yeah yes you're right so there are I, I i look at three levels of awareness one of them is the simple awareness so i'm aware of what's happening in the room i can see the pictures i can see the lamp i can see the flowers i'm aware of what's happening around us so it's very uh, it's very object oriented and then we have a high level of awareness where you're aware of your awareness so all of a sudden now, you're not really identifying with objects. You're not identifying with parts of the self that are mainly ego-based. And then you have like a high, so, so that is basically overseeing everything as is, without judgment, without resentment, a full state of acceptance of what's happening. So you're moving from a state of reaction. So the ego is very reactionary. It reacts. It sees things, it reacts. If it doesn't like something, it reacts. So you're moving now from reaction to responding. So I see something and I respond in the, in the best way possible. What would be a good example? So let's say somebody cuts you off uh, when you're driving. The ego says, well, how dare you? I'm going to show it. And then, and then it becomes upset and angry and it wants to, to make a point. It tries to cut back the person or whatever it is. And when you go to the high level of awareness, which is, which is much, more, much more spiritual, then you respond to say, okay, this guy cut me off. He probably needed that. It's okay. You know, I, I need to be accommodating that. I need to be accepting that. And you just let him. And if he's somebody who's trying to squeeze in, just let him. Why not? Uh, otherwise, what's the option? It's, it's the decision between being peaceful and, and uh, careful or, 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 or helpful versus being upset, angry, then after that, you ask yourself, why did I have to be so angry? Then you feel guilty. Kind of, It's a vicious cycle that never ends. Whereas if you go into the positive cycle, it's nothing by good, but good. I'm happy. I did something good. Uh, you know, I, I'm joyful. I have joy in my life. And, and really, the goal is to increase the joy of life by being connecting to that level. But there's a higher level of awareness. Uh, I liken it to, um, let's say, I always had the goal of going to Finland. Okay, so I'm going to Finland now. So I reached my goal. And I saved money for 20 years, and now I'm going to Finland, and I'm in Helsinki. Always wanted to see Helsinki. It's not enough. Now comes a point where you want to explore Helsinki. You want to explore Finland. You want to understand more about it. That's that highest level of awareness where it's not just about you being aware of what's happening. It's you being connected with universal awareness, that collective awareness that we are all part of it. This is when you cross from object to subject, and then you let go of the subject, and you are now in pure non-duality territory, whereas everything makes sense. Uh, you are part of everything, and everything is part of you, and there's nothing but great peace there. Nice. That's very, very well said. Thank you, Bob. I, I, I love how 
practical and visual that is. And uh, it, it does give you a sense of uh, uh, disconnecting, kind of unhooking from the local awareness or the personal self identity awareness, objective uh, experience, object subject awareness to uh, almost like observer. It, there's a almost like an observer awareness that's that's akin to um, not uh, being, as you said, reactive, but but responsive. That sounds yes. that sounds accurate. I mean, it sounds, and it's also uh, it's also somehow it's it's connected to uh, our shared experience. It's connected to our shared being. And then the ultimate one is just pure awareness. This this is this sounds a little bit like if you've watched any of the old, uh, maybe maybe you met him. I don't know, but uh, Krishnamurti has some great talks where he talks about uh, that uh, the the analyzed and the analyzer become one. And and that's the experience that we're all looking for is is to is to be the is to find the experience where the analyzer and the analyzed become one, and that would be the top. That would be the the experience where it's just universal presence of awareness, and we also have that available, right? Absolutely. You know what? Uh, yeah, you very well said. Uh, you know what? The thing is that. We, we, the ego really works all the time on protecting you. That's what it's, it's like 24 seven trying to protect you from anything and everything. It's a very protective mechanism. And it usually is developed as a result of being vulnerable. As children, we don't get enough coaching. And, you know, I always used to say that uh, it'd be nice if a child is born and there's going to be a, like a therapist of some type helping it helping the child growing up more healthily. But then I decided it's not a good idea. Probably it's going to create more damage. <laughs> but the point is that we grow up, we make decisions based on zero knowledge and awareness. And so now we need this mechanism of ego to, to help us. And it's important. It's going to help us uh, protect ourselves from, from problems, from hurt, from pain. What we need to know that when you reach that high level of awareness, then you, you don't need that protection because you're connected to the highest level of wisdom. You know, I, I always say that um, uh, we, don't, we cannot perceive that level of wisdom. Uh, think about the, the smartest person ever. So the, so the smartest person ever measured, and she's in the book of Guinness. Her name is uh, Marilyn Fons Savant. Her IQ was measured as 228. So anything above 30 is meaningful, above 150 as well, wow. She's 228. Now, I don't know Einstein, maybe it was 250, maybe 300, I, we don't know, we never measured this IQ. <clears throat> but I'm asking, you know, can you imagine an IQ that is 500? It's difficult to imagine. How about an IQ that is 1,000, 10,000, a million? How about infinite IQ? That's the kind of wisdom that we're all connected and we, we miss on it. We, we don't tap into it. Sometimes we have glimpses, like we have intuitions or we have coincidences, all kinds of coincidences. Like my life, for instance, whenever I stick to this, I, I get coincidences that are amazing. 
And they tell me if I'm doing the right things or I need to kind of re- replan or regroup or whatever. We have, those, we have those available for us 24-7. Those people say, I remember, by the way, when I, when I wrote uh, uh, Shogat Spirituality and I was contemplating about spirituality, I remember having a distinct, <clears throat> pardon me, deep fear of what's going to happen when I become 100% spiritual. And I thought it would be a disaster. I'll have to resign. I can't do my work anymore. Just kind of unrealistic fears. And then I said to myself, well, maybe there's nothing to be afraid of. Maybe spirituality already has everything built in. Because, I mean, the way I see the way humanity, the, the way humanity builds, you know, I don't know if you can see that matrix behind me. There's a, there's a kind of pixelated matrix. And it's there mm-hmm. for a reason. I use that for, for education. And when people ask me what it is, I tell them that, you know, it represents humanity. And also is that we, we all have different colors. So come from different backgrounds, a different color skin, different eye color, but the squares are even. We are even. In terms of our spiritual essence, we are exactly identical. So we have to remember that. And sometimes we kind of complain. We said, well, I don't want to be red. I want to be pink. Or I don't want to be blue. I want to be green. No, you are here to be green or blue or red. And, and you're here to be exactly where you are. And if you can accept that, and, and I always teach my patients, you know, acceptance is the biggest antidote to stress. If you can accept what's happening, which doesn't mean that that is going to be always like that. This is what you work with. Right. It's almost like a card game. You know, when you get certain cards, you cannot go to the dealer and say, you know, I don't like the cards. Give me different cards. And so in a way, we get certain cards when we are born, certain cards for the month, for the week and for the day. And we cannot give them back. We cannot ask for different cards. The question is, what do you do with the cards? And there is a very specific purpose for these cards. Right? So, so in, uh, in, in Hinduism, Buddhism, we talk about karma. Um, and I'm a great believer that we, we, work, we are going through an evolutionary process by which we get elevated overall. And until this, this ends at some point. It ends when we are all elevated that level of high level of awareness, kind of collective awareness. So in a way, we got kicked off the Garden of Eden Eden because we kind of tasted the forbidden fruit. And we all, no exception, have to find a way to go back on our own. And when we find that way, all of a sudden, everything clicks. Everything is perfect. Everything works just the way it is. And I don't know, maybe we're ready then for the next, uh, next project or next adventure. (laughs) <laughs> I I have a sense that uh, that part of that uh, that mythical journey idea of the garden and this experience, uh, I, I feel that we we each one actually uh, s- somehow we we move to that other plane individually, I- individuated as a. Uh, from this uh, localized awareness experience. And we move in that plane, even while we're still in this body-mind experience. We move there, and you you would be, I mean, you're the expert uh, on, on cognitive uh, psychology. Uh, I would think that you would, you would see that psychologically, we move to a different plane of experience, we go there and this body mind stays what looks like in the same plane 
it, 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 in my, I have a sense that we actually do go to a different plane. Maybe so. Absolutely. Yeah. I don't, I don't there's, there's no that. way, there's no way of knowing that for sure. But I, when you, when you see people like for, I can only speak for myself, the changes that have taken place in the bill free body mind are significant changes that the life experience of this person is vastly different than it was 10 years ago or 20 years ago. And it, it doesn't look like uh, the world changed too much. It look it feels like I'm the one that changed and, and I have become happier and more content. And, uh, and, and also I feel happy the, the more I understand about other planes of, uh, of existence, so to speak, or different dimensional realities, the more I feel good about this experience, even though it's it's filled with diseases and wars and and travesties and and things that would scare the bejeebies out of uh, people, when you have an, a little higher understanding and of the evolutionary process of our own spirituality and and everyone else's, no one's no one's left out. You know, the animals aren't left out, the plants aren't left out. The gays and the whatever you want to call yourself or identities or races, no one is left out of that scenario. I feel really good about that. I agree with you 100%. I, I look at, you know, at the planet with all the, and everybody who resides here and maybe even the entire universe as a, as a big, one big sophisticated Swiss clock that has a lot of wheels and a lot of screws and a lot of mechanical things. And um, every screw is important, no matter how little it is. You remove one screw out of that mechanism and it all collapses, it stops working. Everybody is, is serving a purpose to reach that kind of higher level of, of awareness, high level of, of connection. And, and everything is everything is uh, is good. Everything is, is for a purpose. We just have to learn from it. We have to learn this. It's all about learning. And, and the learning is supposed to get us there. Now, of course, if we can get it this time around, you know, as, as, as Hinduism says, we'll come back in different forums. Uh, I don't know if it happens exactly like that, but all the collective knowledge that we have now and wisdom that we have now uh, comes back with new expectations for, for new kind of levels of, of awareness uh, they call it sometimes enlightenment, uh, but it's all all fits that purpose of elevating ourselves up. And you also talked about changes in and uh, in, in, in your in your body, which is, is very important. I talk about that in my book as well. Um, healing comes from that. I have a, I have a seven step process of of how you get to healing. Uh, healing basically is is a spiritual journey. It has to be a spiritual journey because healing basically comes from wholeness to to heal you got to feel whole so what's the station before that so wholeness what's the station before wholeness to feel whole you have to have peace you cannot feel whole without being in touch with a deeper sense of peace how do you get that peace comes from acceptance so as you accept things you can feel peaceful about it then you feel whole then you can heal. How do you reach acceptance? 
by letting go. You gotta let go of patterns of trauma and, and it requires work. It's not something that happens right away. But once you're able to let go of all the negativity, all the negative programming, all the blocks we mentioned earlier, then you are able to reach that level of acceptance, peace, wholeness, healing. And how do you let go? You have to be aware because we sometimes uh, are not aware of what's happening on a deeper level. You have to be aware. Once you increase your awareness, then you say, well, why am I holding on to this? Why am I holding to this kind of resentment I have towards my neighbor who gave me, you know, heck uh, five years ago? I don't need that anymore. So, wow, there's acceptance. As soon as there's acceptance, there's peace. Then that contributes to wholeness, then contributes to healing. And, and, it's, a, it's an amazing process that if you go through the steps, uh, it's almost like an AA kind of process, but different because it brings healing. Now, healing doesn't mean that you're going to be healthy and necessarily, or you can overcome a uh, you know, a terrible disease. It means that you've come to terms with what's, what's going on and you're maximizing your life on a mental, physical, and spiritual levels. That makes sense? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, uh, in fact, uh, we had a conference a couple of years ago called Know Thyself the Know Thyself Conference. And uh, you you reach that, when you reach that understanding and the direct experience of knowing thyself, knowing the self, you, you move from the local uh, seeming separate self-identity to that wholeness identity. You move from, from separate self-identity to wholeness uh, identity and you 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 move to a different place of of uh, a mechanism of responding uh, or 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 not responding. Why? Because you're 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 able to you've mastered or or see somewhat mastered uh, the experience of of inner peace by by abiding in it as it. It's interesting because sometimes people come to me with self-esteem issues. So I always kind of laugh and I say, well, I have uh, good news and bad news. I first of all, ask them to rate how much they think the self-esteem is on a scale of uh, one to 10. They'll say three or four. If it was a six or seven, they wouldn't come for that purpose. So they say three or four. And they say, well, the good news, I can help you get it to seven, eight, nine. If you work hard, really 10. But here's the bad news. As soon as we get there, we'll have to destroy it. And they say, well, why destroy it? So, well, first of all, you have, you have to have good confidence. Then I'll show you that you don't really need it. So that's when we begin to build that bridge from the psycho-emotional realm to the spiritual realm, because on a spiritual level, you don't really need the self-esteem because you just kind of behave the way you should that comes out of peace and compassion and understanding and joy without expecting anything in return. There's no resistance. There's no uh, criticism. There's no judgment, no self-judgment or judging others. And life becomes a lot simpler. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, there's a, I mean, the desire of my heart is to support people in this understanding, to support people with tools that would help them to self-realize, to know the self, to find this joy and peace and happiness that you're uh, that you're talking about that your book is all about, and I would uh, I would love it if we could uh, share some kind of practice or some ideas with this audience 
that's listening or watching that would uh, give them a glimpse or some kind of uh, idea of what you're speaking about. Can you do that? Yeah. Well, absolutely. Yeah, I can give a couple of examples. So let's talk about um, working with emotions and being able to more easily connect with inner peace. So if you can imagine for a moment that um, you have a box near you, it's a special box where you can put all of your thoughts, all of your feelings, everything there. So you become aware of what's, what's going on in your mind. It's a simple awareness thing. I'm thinking about this and this needs fixing, that needs fixing. I'm a bit upset. I'm a bit this, I'm a bit happy. Uh, and then you put everything in that box as much as you possibly can. Once you did that, you just try to reach a level by which you and breathing is the only thing that exists. You and the breathing. So then once you reach that, you just pay attention to your breathing for a little bit. And nine out of 10, you will feel calmer. Nine out of ten, you feel calmer. Then you bring back from that box whatever it is that you 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 need, you feel you need, and you bring it into that calmness. It'll always calm the emotions down, calm the thinking down, and that gives you control in terms of what. Because our our brain is so busy with all kinds of things, it creates problems and then it looks for ways to solve those problems. It's kind of almost like a another one of those vicious cycles. Uh, and when you do that, you are able to better control your uh, emotions and, and reduce the level of overwhelming because we live in a society today, especially Western society, that is very overwhelmed. We are busy, expectations, work, home, stuff, is always something to do. Uh, the biggest complaint I hear from, uh, from my patients is that we are overwhelmed. When you do that, you empty the cup. You empty the cup. If you go with a cup that gets filled very quickly, once it starts to spill over, uh, you know, then you begin to feel bad. The, go, the brain goes into a, a stop mode, freeze mode, and you're not able to cope. And that's only because you just kind of fill your brain with too much stuff, too much goals. And we have all kinds of bad patterns of uh, perfectionism and people pleasing that add a lot to that pile. When you're able to empty that cup, even just for a little bit, all of a sudden you feel calm and you always want to feel without get in touch with that calm. And I always make the point, it's an exercise well worthwhile doing because you realize that you can feel calm, although nothing has changed. You still have your problems, you still, you still have all kinds of things and deadlines to do, and yet you're still calm. And I always make a point to show that to a person I do this with so that they understand that this peace always there. It's always there. You just have to give yourself permission to connect with it. Does this make sense? Yeah, it's great. Uh, total sense. And it's it's like I, I, I would I'm going to call that. I don't know what you call it. Maybe you'll change the name uh, to the right name. But I'm call I call it the the box exercise where the box you, exercise. you you temporarily move all of the the moving parts that are that you have connected your identity to. You're moving it temporarily over there. You're not taking it away. So you're allowing it to still be there, but you're not so close. It's almost like a an exercise in moving it away just enough so that you can realize that you're not any of those things. And That's yet right. you're still where you were. You're still right. who you are. That's right. Yeah. And, and it's it's interesting because you know, I give an example in the book of a of a, a person. Let's say he's an architect and he goes to France for a project and then he gets kidnapped. He gets kidnapped 
Uh, they move him to Italy. They hit him on the head. They steal all his money and everything. Now he wakes up and he's completely unconscious. Uh, two weeks go by. He's aware. He wakes up, but he doesn't know who he is. He doesn't know who he is. So they don't know what to do with him. They say, well, we'll give you a small apartment and then you're going to work as a, as a waiter, as a server in a restaurant to make some money. So now his name is not Dan anymore. Maybe it's, a, uh, I don't know, Luigi. So now Luigi makes his life in Italy. He's in Rome and he, he doesn't know anything about his past, uh, total amnesia. And then until one day, a couple of years later, somebody comes to the restaurant and says, oh my God, Dan, that's you. He said, who are you? He said, I'm your friend from New York. What do you mean? You know, we, we were friends for 20 years. You don't recognize me? No. He said, I know I was in an accident. I was hit in the head. I don't remember. Maybe you should shed some light. And he said, no, you have a family there. You have two kids. And now all of a sudden he has to go from, so he went from Dan to Luigi. Now he has to go back from Luigi to Dan. And my question is, who holds all these personalities? Where, what's that platform? What's the operating system? And that operating system is a, is a smart, wise, spiritual operating system that can hold a thousand uh, personalities or none. It's still there. It's there all the time. Yeah, that's the that's the that's the higher awareness. That's, the high, uh, that's that, right. And what what you were describing a while ago is, uh, you know, that we if you can, uh, when you were describing the different uh, potential IQs of uh, Einstein, and you know, maybe it was two fifty, but what if it was five hundred? What if it was ten thousand? What 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 would that IQ give you? Well, we have access to that IQ, uh, but not necessarily all at once. We, we, we couldn't handle all of it. We couldn't handle one uh, percent uh, of it, but Absolutely. we but we have access to all of it all the time. And it it seems to me that the the formula, if you're, I mean, I don't really like the use of the word formula, but the access point or the portal to that wisdom and that clarity is available on a moment to moment basis as we would ask for it. And it's it's our lack uh, of understanding how to ask or uh, the conditions uh, that that are necessary in asking uh, are they they sort of set us up to receive as we have asked absolutely i call it in the book i mentioned the feature called intelli-tapping which is short for intelligent tapping so we can tap into that intelligence and we usually tap into it when it's needed when we need it we can tap into intelligence but by the way not only humans also animals also everything that is that is growing that is alive taps into that intelligence i mean look at the wisdom of of trees or flowers of animals who can change colors who were able to develop all kinds of phenomena that that you know if you pay chemists or physicians uh, or physicists millions of dollars they cannot imitate that they cannot mimic that it's all being able to tap into that intelligence and uh, draw what it is uh, uh, from from that to be able to survive. It's, it's, a, it's a lot of matter of survival. For, so for the longest time, we were uh, focused on emotion, on, uh, on uh, physical survival. Then we moved to spiritual survival. Uh, and so we, we started with, with kind of the reptilian, the, the, brain, the, the brainstem. Then we moved to the limbic system, the emotional. 
And now we are the level of, of reasoning of the, the logical mind. And then there's one level above that as well. Yeah. Well, don't we have, I mean, we actually do uh, tap into that uh, ask and you shall receive mechanism. We we tap into it and we have access uh, uh, with it just by bringing our attention to it. So, so our access point uh, eludes us because we don't realize the power that lies in attention and awareness. And when we, and this is why I think the spiritual and even the religious uh, traditions that have an abiding or a devotional uh, aspect, they tap into it through different. Uh, names, different practices, different rituals. Yes. They exactly. don't realize that abiding in in meditation, an abidance happens where we we allow quiet presence to overwhelm the personal body mind experience, and that brings our attention to that quiet presence. Now we have just we have just connected to that divine energy to that divine uh, wisdom and and where's our attention our attention is on that and by that we're going to receive that kind of response uh insights intuition clarity certainty we know exactly what we're doing now we also are tapped in to the peace that passes understanding it's just it brings us everything Absolutely, it's uh, you're right. It starts with the with an intention, with a pure intention. The purer it is, uh, the easier it is to get an answer. But there's also a second element that sometimes people miss on is to be aware because we don't always get the answer in the way that we expect it. So yes. if you don't, you know, it's almost like saying I'm waiting a really important for an important call and turn off your phone. You got to leave your phone open. So you got to pay attention because it'll come sometimes not to the main door, maybe to a side door, a back door. And you have to pay attention. And, and I've seen that happening many times. And I always laugh when it happens. Because well, Bob, you, be patient. You, you have to turn off your expectations too. You have to turn yes. off your expectations. Yes. It has to be, and, and actually you don't really turn them off. If you're, what, I, I have found that this, this kind of abiding place uh, if you use that as the uh, as the holy of holies or the altar of peace, you, you find your attention is is in the peace. Your 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 experience of peace is, and then you then you bring those those other things in that that are, you're expecting, and you bring in those things that are disturbing your peace from a ple- from a place that knows itself as peace. And when you do that, somehow, I don't know how it works, but somehow the things that were causing you discomfort, the things that were disturbing your peace, they when they come into that, that open invitation, they dissolve into the nothingness that they rise. That's right. Yeah. It's, it's, I like it when you say we don't know how it works. And, and I always remind my patients, you know, you do not have to understand everything. Like you don't have to understand how an engine works to drive a car you try to understand as much as possible and then leave it open. Just, just let, you know, let the divine wisdom kind of show you the way. 
Yes. And, uh, and it's funny how it happens when you when you do that and it's in a pure intention, um, you get it. It's there. Yes. However, we have to also remember that sometimes the universe has other plans. Sometimes you get what you want. Sometimes the universe says, well, I see things a bit differently. You know, the child says, you know, I'm going to play outside. And the mother said, well, not exactly. First of all, you have to do the homework. So. The universe says, well, not yet. You're not ready for that yet. Or I have a, you know, I have a different plan. Bear with me. That's where the acceptance kicks in. Because you, if you don't have that level of acceptance, you're going to be annoyed that things didn't go your way. Look at me. I prayed. I made intentions in my head. I visualized. And it's not happening. Well, maybe it's not supposed to happen at all. Or maybe it's not supposed to happen the way you want it. And that's where you have to use a big dose of acceptance so that you can always remain in your peace. Yeah. Yeah. And acceptance without uh, preference, acceptance without uh, without expectations, this expectance. I mean, uh, acceptance is is more in the realm uh, of of welcoming, welcoming everything to be exactly as it is without preferring even that it be different. Correct. Yes, I agree. So it's it's not just acceptance. Oh, yeah. Okay, I I accept that. I don't really have a choice. No, it it can't have con. It can't be conditional acceptance. That's, we right, call Bob? that resignation. We call it resignation. Oh, yeah. That's... I'm resigning to the fact that yeah, okay, I tried, whatever didn't work. Acceptance is very the if if the 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 test for acceptance is if, if it is followed by peace. If it's not followed by peace, it's not real acceptance. Yes, yes, that's it. And, and these uh, these ideas, these experiences, can be can be verified. Just as you as you just said, if it's connected with peace, it's it's you've it's verifiable. You know when you're not at peace. Immediately, you you're how do you feel? And you, so, so you can, you can resolve that by bringing your, your desire to be peace. You're bringing your attention to the peace, just bringing uh, this, this pause, this place of what I call a no judgment zone and just find yourself just de desiring to abide in love or desiring to abide in this place where where you it's just quiet presence and that will bring you to that experience and you'll know if if you're off absolute peace is the ultimate test for me if there's yes. peace you know you're doing things correctly if there's no peace something is wrong there and you, know, you got to figure out what it is that's where awareness can help a lot Oh it's, yeah, it's a it's a problem. We we became so busy. We became so busy. There's no wonder that more and more people. I see a lot more people going into mindfulness and meditation because we have to leave kind of some gaps, some some space for things to happen. Otherwise, it's so busy, and all that busyness is is as a lot of ego involved in that. Not 100, percent there's a lot of ego involved in that, and and ego obviously is the is an opposition. It's an opposition. Uh, to the spiritual territory. It's a must in terms of our growth, but at some point we need to let it go, ideally completely, if not to a great degree, 
Uh, I sent you that sheet about uh, spirit versus ego. I mean, you can put it as a link if you like to the to to this uh, uh, talk, uh, and it it really identifies the biggest differences. And when you read that, you say, well, obviously, you know, I wanna I wanna be more on that spiritual side of things. Now, how do I get that? So one of the best things to to work with the ego is to be aware of its games because it's playing games all the time. It's it has a very distinct behavior by which it first of all steals that I am, which doesn't belong to it. And then it tries to prove to you that it knows what's right and what's wrong. And, and it's it's wrong about that. And when you when you identify that, you know, I sometimes laugh when I see an, an ego part and I laugh, I say, okay, my ego is is playing some drama here. And you let it, you just observe it, you you're aware of it, you let it do its stuff. And it'll come and go if you let it. But if you fight it, it'll fight back. So we got to take the struggle out of the way. As I said before, the resistance out of the way. You know, most of our unrealistic attachments. And you're there. You don't have to go anywhere. It's here. So so I always laugh when we say a journey, a trip, a destination. It's here. It's right here. You just have to recognize that. And and usually when I when I work with people, I usually start from the end. So I tell them, well, I'll tell you the ultimate. If you can figure it out, we are done. And sometimes I will quote even uh, Rumi, who said, you know, you are peace from toe to brow. Now, what else do you want to know? So if you can figure this out, you're done. You don't have to do anything else. Right. But then, of course, I explain that the, the, the truth. And so people ask, what's that truth? Is the tr- truth of who you really are, where you're coming from, what you're connected with, and who you are, who you are as an essence? Not as a as the packaging. I mean, we don't buy chocolate for the packaging for the most part. We buy it for the chocolate. So, uh, you know, when you take away the packaging, you have a chance to enjoy a good piece of chocolate. And here, the same thing. So once we are aware of who we are, that we're here to really do good. I mean, that's what we're here for. And by the way, that good can be very simple. I mean, you do a fantastic job uh, uh, spreading uh high level educational material and from whatever I've seen so far, but it could be sometimes some sort of a a, a receptionist who who just smiles at you when you come back in the morning, when you go to work in the morning and and it just makes your day. It doesn't have to be something big. Our purpose does not have to be big. It can be very small, but, but everything counts because everything leads us to this place of just being nice and being compassionate and being loving without expecting anything in return. Yeah. Yeah, I I, uh, I love that uh idea. That's actually a a, a really good uh kind of a litmus test to really to verify, to check in with yourself uh when you're out in public. How difficult is it to to smile at someone? How difficult is it to share that because it my a long time uh, thought about people smiling is 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 when you smile at someone. It's it's so funny how it works. When you smile at someone, it's very difficult for them not to smile back at you. Absolutely, and, and it changes it, everything. It changes it, everything. It, it it reveals love to love. It reveals God to God, and and it shows up just as you imagine. It just changes everything. The field of energy somehow gets transported to uh, this envelope of of love just from a simple 
a little smile. And it's very interesting, a very interesting uh, practice that is very simple to do if you can is to just before you, when you go to bed, just before you fall asleep, just smile to yourself. And then when you wake up in the morning, smile to yourself. That's tiny little investment of, you know, two seconds each one can just change everything. Very, very powerful. Wow, Bob, that's a that's a great suggestion. I never heard that one before. I I love that. I'm gonna. Uh, you guys that are listening or watching, uh, Bob gave us two great practices today, and I do hope you'll go to Amazon and buy his book. Uh, the I think it's only uh, available on Kindle. Oh, I thought it was on Amazon. Maybe well, maybe it's Amazon. no. It is on Amazon for sure, yeah. But I think it is yeah. only the Kindle version. But I'm not sure. I, I that's this was not my kind of business. It was somebody who took care of that, so I'm I'm not sure exactly what's happening there. Right, right, right. Well, the the, the two great practices that you gave us, Bob, was the 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 box practice, and and now the smile before you go to sleep practice. That's another good one because you know. Uh, uh, Krishna Murthy, uh, I'll mention him again. He says if if you have unfinished business uh, at the end of the day, just take stock in your day before you go to sleep at night, and it will cause you to have better dreams or no dreams because you'll close those open circuits uh, of of ideas that are that are floating in your mind. And I like to suggest that people just pause and do a short, even a, f- a five-minute uh, awareness meditation before they go to sleep at night. Uh, I'm going to add smiling to yourself. And, and very similarly, I also recommend that they do the box exercise, what you call the box exercise, before they go to sleep, because they then they empty that cup. And so their mind is clear. They can sleep well. I mean... The body knows how to sleep, but the mind doesn't always know how to sleep. So you clear everything and you go with a clear mind to sleep. You can sleep better. You can sleep deeper. You wake up in the morning, you're fresh. Then it's all waiting for you. You can take out of the box whatever you want, but at least have a very clear mind when you fall asleep. I think, and I have many of my patients that follow that and, and with great success. So I highly recommend. Very similar to what you do, kind of a little twist with that, with that box. Nice, nice. Wow, this has been a great conversation, Bob. Thank you so much for being on the Awareness Podcast and well, thanks for sharing, having me. sharing your wisdom and your wit and your uh, fantastic ideas with our audience. And that's great that you would uh, to take the time to be part of it. Thank you. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you all for being this with us this week on the awareness podcast and we'll see you again next week bye-bye i hope you enjoyed this week's episode of the awareness podcast please remember to subscribe so that you receive a notification each time a new episode is released be sure to tune in next friday for living in not knowing with jenny beale and her guest, Anne McElwraith, in an episode entitled Exploring the Transparency of the Body. In this episode, Anne will describe her journey to the non-dual understanding through an exploration of the body. 
The Awareness Podcast is brought to you by the Teachers of God Foundation in association with Pure Presence Conferences.